Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Today's shear will be on Parshas Vayetze. One of the very important principles to know when studying Rashi's commentary on the Torah is that Rashi's commentary is a complete commentary on the whole Torah. I've discussed this before. Rashi did not simply uh, collect some interesting thoughts on a wide variety, on a wide selection of psukim which is true of many other great Mephoshim, that they explain many psukim and many other psukim they don't explain because they didn't have anything original to say about them. That's not the case with Rashi's commentary. Rashi's, Rashi set out to explain the entire Torah. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zichrenu Lebrocha, taught, and it's written in his name, that if you come to some places where you have a, a difficulty understanding a Pasuk, and Rashi does not discuss that difficulty, perhaps and there, are, there are some Sukkim that Rashi says nothing about altogether, but the, the, the Rebbe taught that if Rashi does not talk about a certain question, that means that we need to look at the simple meaning of the Pasuk and other Sukkim around it. We need to look at other comments of Rashi in other places, particularly in places in Psukim before the one that is under consideration. And if we do that, and if we do that intelligently, we should always be able to find a good explanation and a good answer to whatever kashas we may have on the level of shot, on that level of simple meaning of the Psukim. Of course, if you want to go beyond that into Drush and Remez inside, into deeper understandings. That's true, Rashi was not discussing those levels. But on the level of Shutei Shul Mikra, Rashi, Rashi's commentary explains everything. Even those places where Rashi seemingly didn't say anything at all, but he explained enough in other places that anyone with a good mind, with what they call the Seichel HaYosher, and a knowledge of Rashi's other comments, should be able to understand and to answer any important and reasonable questions. I think we can prove this point to a certain extent from a little piece of Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch and Orachayim Simon Reish Pei Hay discusses the mitzvah of Shnayim Mikra the Echad Targum. A person is obligated to review the Torah, the Torah reading each week, each weekly parsha. A person needs to read the parsha two times, Mikra, needs to read the Psukim themselves two times, and the Targum Unkelis, the Aramaic translation of Unkelis, he should read a third time, uh, one time for itself. So, Shnaya Mikra, the Echod Targum. Now, here the Shulchan Aruch quotes the, the Rosh, and he says, Imlamar Parsha Rashi, if a person learned the, the weekly parsha, 
with Rashi's commentary, Chashiv Kamo Targum. That is counted like Targum. That's counted like he read the Targum also. Because as the Mepharshim explained, what is the purpose of Targum Onkelis? The pur purpose of Targum Onkelis is to explain the simple meaning of the Psilkim. What is the purpose of Rashi? To explain the simple meaning of the Psilkim. So the, the Rosh Paskind that it's just as good to read Rashi as it is to read Targum. For some people, it might even be better because nowadays, most people don't speak Aramaic. So they don't understand the Targum that well, but they do, they can understand Rashi. Now, what about those places where Rashi does not comment at all? What about them? Now, the Mishnah Brura says here in the name of some Achreinim, those psukim that don't have any Rashi, Yikra Oisam Gimel Pa'amim. So he should read those psukim three times. However, this seems to be a Chumrah, and I believe it's really for a different reason. I don't want to get into that now. But if you look at the, the Shulchan Aruch itself, and if you go back to the, to the Rosh, it seems like this is the opinion of the Rosh, that if you read the Parsha with Perish Rashi, that's like you read the Targ. You don't have to read anything else. The Rush does not mention this, that if you come across a Pusik that has no Rashi, you have to read the Pusik a third time. It doesn't say that. In simplicity, at least the Rush's opinion is, you don't have to do that. Now, again, how could that be? What about those Psukim that Rashi didn't comment on? So where's your Targum? I understand when there's a Rashi, that counts in place of the Targum. It's just as good, if not better, than the Targum. But what about some Sukkim don't have any Rashi? So where's your Targum? Where's your Shnayim Mikra Be'echad Targum? The answer is, I believe, like what I just said before. Because Rashi explained enough that any person with reasonable intelligence should be able to take his comments and understand even those places where he does not comment. I think there's an interesting example of this in this week's Parsha. Let's take a look at a few psukim, a very well-known story. Uh, Yaakov Avinu arrived in Haran and he met uh, the family of, uh, of his, uh, he met his relatives over there and he met his, uh, his relative Lavan and he noticed that Lavan has two daughters. Well, the love and Shtevanais, Lavan had two daughters, Shem Hagadayla Leah, the name of the older one was Leah, the Shem Haktanoa Rachel, and the name of the smaller, younger one was Rachel. Ene Leah Rakos, the eyes of Leah were, were soft, as Rashi very famously explains that she, she cried a lot because she might have to marry Esav someday. Rachel Haisa Yifas Toar Bifas Mare. Rachel was beautiful of Tayar and beautiful of Mare. Rashi explains that the shape of her face, that's the Tawar, that was beautiful, and the Ziv cluster, the shine of her face, was beautiful, that's Yefas Mare. Now, by Yehav Yaakov is Rachel, Yaakov loved Rachel, by Yomer, and he said to Lavan, Evadcha Sheva Shanim, Rachel Bitcha Haktano. I will work for you for seven years in order to marry Rachel Bitcha Haktana, Rachel, your younger daughter. And 
said, Tov Tito, Tov Titi Oso Loch, it is better for me to give her to you, Mi Titi Oso the Ishacher, than giving her to some other person. So, Shwa Imadi, come, stay with me, and you'll work with me, and after seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And Yaakov worked in order to get Rachel as a wife for seven years. And they were in his eyes like just several days. In his love for her. He worked seven years in order to be able to marry his beloved Rachel. And since he loved her so much, it seemed like just a few days. It seemed like a short time. Now, this is very troublesome. We would assume, we, we naturally think, that if there's something we really want and something we really love, and we have to wait one day to get it, it would seem like a year. And if we had to wait seven years to get it, it would seem like a hundred years. The more you love something, the more impatient you are to, to finally get a hold of it. So how could it, how could it be that because Yaakov loved Rachel, therefore the seven years felt like just a few days. Now, some of the Mepharshim take note of this question. Chizkuni, one of the famous Mepharshim, Chizkuni says that what does it mean that it was Kiyomim Achodem? It means because Yaakov, if Lavan would have asked for even more time, if he would have asked for 10 years, 20 years, Yaakov would have, would have agreed to it because he loved Rachel so much. No matter how many years Lovin would have asked for, he would have worked. So since it was only seven years, it didn't feel like so much. Okay, that's an answer. Or, says the Chizkoni, he says, during the time that Yaakov worked for Lovin, of course, it seemed like an eternity because he really loved Rachel and he really wanted to marry her. And it was a year, two years, and three years. It simply seemed to take forever. But once he finally married her and he looked back on it, it seemed like just a few days because he loved her so much. Okay, if you like these two answers, fine. But one thing we notice is that Rashi does not address this question. There's no Rashi on this Pasuk. What is Rashi's opinion? Is it necessary to look at other Mepharshim? Nothing wrong with doing that, but is that really what Rashi wanted us to do? Did he leave this Pasuk blank because he felt that others had explained it better than he did? Truth is, the Chizkuni lived long after Rashi. He certainly didn't leave it for the Chizkuni. Did Rashi forget to say it? He forgot what to say over here, or he didn't know what to say? All of those possibilities seem rather unlikely. What I would like to suggest, and what really what the what the Mavavashi Rebbe says, is that if Rashi doesn't say anything in this Pasik, that indicates that with a little bit of work, a little bit of thinking, not very, very difficult, we can figure this out for ourselves based on our basic understanding of the Psukim and based on our knowledge of previous comments by Rashi. So let's go back to a Pasik and a Rashi comment which I think will shed light on this. We need to just go back a couple of psukim. 
where Yaakov, where it says that Yaakov loved Rachel, and he said to Lavan, I will serve you for seven years for Rachel Bitcha Haktana. And here there's a very famous Rashi comment. The Rachel Bitcha Haktana, I will work in order to get Rachel, your daughter, the younger. Call Hasimanim Lama Lama. Call Hasimanim Halalo Lama. Rashi asks all of these signs, all of these indications of who this girl is, Rachel, Itcha, Aktana, Lama. Why did Yaakov need to mention all of these signs? And Rashi answers, because he knew about Lavan, that Lavan was a trickster, he was a swindler. So he said, first he said, I will serve you, I will work for you in order to get Rachel. Maybe you, Lovin the swindler, will say uh, that I meant some other Rachel from the marketplace, some other girl named Rachel. Talmud Leimar. So therefore, he said, Bitcha. No, I want Rachel, your daughter. Maybe you'll say, Achlif Leia Shmo. I will change Leia. Uh, I will change Leia's name, the Ekra Shmo Rachel, and I'll call her name Rachel. I'll take my older daughter, Leah, and I'll change her name to Rachel, and I'll give her to you. Talmud Leimar, so therefore Yaakov said, Haktana. So no, no, I want your younger daughter. And Rashi says, nonetheless, all of this did not work for Yaakov. Because as we know, Lavan did trick him, and he managed to switch daughters, and he gave Leah to Yaakov rather than Rachel. Now, Rashi begins with a question. Kol hasimanim halalu lama. All of these signs, all of these uh, markers, so to speak, what are they for? Now, we have a rule. The rule is, I discussed this rule in last week's shear also. We know that most often Rashi does not express, he does not articulate his questions. Normally Rashi tells us what the Pasuk means that's our job to figure out why he's saying that. And it's always because he had some question about the meaning of the Pasuk. And so he tells us what it means so that we should answer that question. On occasion, Rashi does articulate his question. The Maskil, the David, and others say that whenever Rashi articulates his question, you have to know that that's not his only question. In fact, that's not his main question. His main question is always, within the Pasuk itself. The question that he articulates, that he states clearly, is really a means at getting at a certain answer. He's quoting in most places a Gemara or a Midrash, which asks a question and gives an answer as a sort of a set, a question answer set. And the reason he's quoting it is because he's really trying to answer a different question. Now, how would that apply over here? In my humble opinion, I believe that there's another question on this Pasuk, which in fact is raised by other commentators. It says that Yaakov loved Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years to get her. Now, this does not sound like the way most uh, young men in love talk. Most men in love would say, I love your daughter, uh, you know, uh, can I marry her? Why would you offer to work seven years? Even if you think that uh, it's necessary to work a certain amount, 
but why seven whole years? Why don't you lower the price? See if you can get away with working six months or one year. Why did Yaakov offer right off the right at the beginning? It's a very poor negotiating strategy. At the very beginning, he said, I will work for you for seven whole years. Chizkuni, again, raises this question. We're not going to discuss his answer now. This is a very, a very obvious question on the Pesach. And I believe, I would like to suggest that Rashi intended to answer this question. How did he, what was his methodology to answer this question? Well, he quotes a different question and an answer, which are in the Midrash Rabbah. The Midrash Rabbah asks, Kol HaSimonim Halalu Lama. Midrash Rabbah asks, why did Yaakov have to say Rachel, Bidchak, Tana, with all of these markers? And the Midrash Rabbah answers, because Yaakov knew that Lovin was a Ramai, he's a swindler, and he was trying to outsmart him. It could be that that's how Rashi is answering, answering his question about Evodcha Shevashonim. Why did Yaakov offer such a high price right at the start? Because he thought that if I offer a low price, I'm for surely going to be swindled. If Lovin is only getting one year of work out of me or six months of work out of me, for surely he won't give me the girl that I want. If I'll offer a high price and I will pay that high price, so maybe that will balance, maybe that will out, that will trump Lovin's swindler swindling personality, because he'll figure, what do I have to swindle this fellow for? I just made a lot of money on him. I got what I wanted. I mean, what, what's the point of swindling? The point of swindling is to get more of what you want. Well, if I got already what I want, I got a lot of work out of him. So perhaps Lovan will not swindle Yaakov. That in the first place could be why Yaakov said right at the start, I will serve you for this very long period of Shevashonim. And it could be that now that we know this, that that was part of Yaakov's plan to try to outwit Lovin the Swindler. Perhaps we can now understand why it's why it was that Yaakov worked for those seven years, and it was be'enov kiyamim achodim, and it was just like a few days I saw because he loved her. Question is, what do you mean it was just like a few days? If you want something so badly and you have to wait seven whole years, it would probably seem like, like seven decades or seven centuries. So how could it be that because he loved her, therefore it seemed like just a few days? Because the seven years were not a delay. They weren't merely just a delay. It's not, I, I want her now, I could really get her now, and you, you miserable person, you love and are making me wait seven years. Oh, Every minute is an hour, and every hour is a day, and every day is a decade, and it's just terrible. How can I, how can he possibly live through this time? That's not what's going on here. The seven years are Yaakov's tool for getting what he wants. He suggested in the first place working those seven years because he thought, in the end he found out he was not right, but he thought that the seven years are the tool by which he is going to ensure that he gets the right girl, that he gets his heart's desire, that he gets to marry the one that he wants to marry. It could be when a person knows that the difficulties that he's going through are the tool by which he will get what he wants, doesn't seem like so long. If he looks at the 
difficulties he's going through as merely being difficulties and merely stumbling blocks in his way, then they're very, it's very annoying. It's very, it's very tiring. But if a person understands that the, 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 the difficulties that he must go through are the tool by which he will attain his heart's desire, so then those difficulties will not be so difficult. And if it's a matter of time, the time will not seem to be so long. Comes out, if we are correct, that we don't have to say uh, some of the Chizkuni's very uh, creative answers that uh, is only something that Yaakov thought after he finished, but while he was working, really, he was miserable. That's a little bit forced. Rather, we can explain it very in a very straightforward manner, based on something that Rashi himself previously said, that Yaakov from the start knew that Lovin was a Ramai, and I am suggesting that that is not only the reason why he said Rachel Bitchak Tana, but that's also the reason why he offered in the first place to work for seven years. So, and this would also, uh, we can also understand if, if all of this is correct, that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to reread, if you're learning Shnaya Mikrave Echad Targum, you don't have to reread this Pasuk a third time just because there's no Rashi. No, no, there is a Rashi on this Pasuk. The Rashi on Pasuk Chav is the Rashi on Pasuk Yudches. The Rashi on Pasuk Yudches covers Pasuk Chav, Pasuk Chav also. Rashi did explain it, and it's just up to us to understand that he really did explain it. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph, author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash Minagain Be More.